Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Well, I wonder what is it that's the desire of your heart? What is it that in your heart you desire and you really long for and you pray and you hope for? Not just a holiday, not just more sunshine like today, which everyone knows I am loving today's weather, but what is it that's actually the desire of your heart? If I was honest with you, for me, the desire of my heart is that my friends and family would come to know Jesus, that all the people that I know and love would know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And as we come to Romans 9 through to 11, these three chapters in the middle here, we get a glimpse of Paul's heart. We get a glimpse of his desire and his heart and his passion that people would know Jesus. And it's actually particularly, he longs for his people, for the Jewish people. He's a Jew. He longs for the Jews to know Jesus as Lord and Messiah, as their Saviour. Because sadly, at this point where Paul is writing Romans, most of the Jews have actually said they don't want to know Jesus as Messiah. They've denied that Jesus is Lord and they don't want to follow him. They're missing the plan that God always had. They're missing that Jesus is Lord and Paul longs for them to experience that truth. And so what Paul does when he writes in chapter 9, he, he paints the big picture, God's big story to try and help the Jewish people see that God has a plan. He goes back and he talks about Abraham and then he tells more of the story and he talks about the Exodus where the Israelite people, the Jewish people left Egypt and God provided a way. And then he talks about the prophets and he's trying to help the Jewish people see that there's this big plan that God has always had. That there's this plan A that God started, the God of the Old Testament has a plan and it always included Jesus. That it wasn't that he was kind of scrambling to find a plan B, that God was like, oh, that didn't work. What's my next option? But rather, Paul was trying to show there is always a plan A, that God has the plan of salvation and it always included Jesus. That the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. God has a plan, a bigger picture and is in control. And Paul writes in Romans 9 verse 6, but it's not as though the word of God has failed. He's clearly saying God's word didn't fail. God didn't stuff up. He didn't make a mistake. God's always had a plan. And the plan was always for Jesus to come and fulfill the promises and the plans of the Old Testament. The Old Testament God is the New Testament God, is the God of today. God always intended to use the Israelite people as broken as they were. God always intended to welcome the Gentiles in. God's always had a plan. See, what we see is that God is faithful to his plans and promises. Our God is faithful. And I wonder where today you need to hear that. I wonder whether online or in the room today you need to hear that we have a God who is faithful to his plans and promises. A God who has a big picture, who knows the story. A God who has a plan A for your life. He's not scrambling to try and work out the plan B for your life. He has a plan A. He is with you. He is for you. He is in control and he is faithful. I just wonder today if some need to hear that, that God can be trusted 
God can be trusted because he is faithful to his plans and promises. But sadly, the Jewish people, they just missed it. They couldn't see it. They wouldn't accept that Jesus was the plan. And so we read in Romans 9, starting in verse 30, Paul says, What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? A righteousness that is by faith, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. See, what we have here is the Gentile people are welcomed in because they realise they have to, by faith, trust in Jesus, surrender to him. And the Jewish people are still pursuing work, still following the law. If I work hard enough, if I earn it hard enough, then I'll be accepted. And so what we see is they're missing out because rather than by faith trusting in Jesus, they're trying to earn this salvation. Paul then continues in Romans 9.32. He says, They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. See, the Jewish people, they are so focused on the works, on the tasks, on the law and what they need to do, they're missing what is right in front of them. And Paul uses this idea of a stone. He's picking up on the Old Testament writings in Isaiah 28 where Jesus is called the cornerstone. Jesus is our foundation stone. And by saying they're stumbling over the stone, he's talking about the fact that they're missing that Jesus is right in front of them offering salvation and they're tripping up over what is right in front of them. They just can't seem to see it. I wonder if you've ever had that happen where you're so focused on something that you miss What's right in front of you? Now, I can remember when I was 10 years old, I went on this holiday with my parents overseas and my brother, and it was awesome. We stayed in this resort, and I'm telling you, this was a 10-year-old dream, okay, because we got our room, and outside my room, I could see this amazing pool. Like, we're talking, there was maybe five pools there, there was water slides, there was sprinkly things. I don't even know what it was. It was just like a 10-year-old heaven, okay? And so I'm in this room. I can see where I want to be. I'm like getting my bathers on, grabbing my towel. I could not get there fast enough. And so I've got everything. I run straight to that goal of getting in the pool. And I missed what was right in front of me, the screen door. (laughs) And so in this resort, I literally (laughs) broke the screen door as a 10-year-old. And uh, I felt very embarrassed. And because I was so determined to make it to the goal that I missed what was right in front of me. I wonder if we do that in life. I wonder if we do that in faith. I wonder sometimes in our walk with God, if we're so busy, focused on something, future plan, whatever, that we miss what Jesus is doing right in front of us, what he's saying, maybe what he's gifting us, maybe opportunities he's opening. I wonder what we're missing. Because this is the risk that Paul speaks to the Jewish people about, and I think it's relevant to us today, the risk that we miss the obvious. The risk that we miss the obvious. The Jews were so busy thinking, I have to work hard enough, follow the law, get there, that they miss the gift of a relationship with Jesus, the gift of salvation, the gift of knowing a personal God through Jesus. 
I wonder for us, what are we so busy earning, striving, working on, even self-improving our own lives that we miss what Jesus is offering right in front of us? And you know, this year we're, we're sitting in this series of restore, this idea of restoration. And as I was considering this this week, I wonder if there's some of us that we're so busy thinking I've got to fix myself and this restore, it's really good and right and I, I want to be restored, I want my relationships restored, but maybe you're so busy working, earning, striving, fixing that you're missing what's right in front, which is that Jesus does the restoring. It's only as we submit our lives to him, as we submit our brokenness, as we submit our relationships that he does the restoring. We can't fix ourselves. I wonder, even this year of restore that we've come to August and God's saying, I'm right in front of you. Don't miss. Don't miss what he wants to do. Maybe for others, you're so busy focused on doing the right thing. Maybe you, you come from a family of faith. Maybe you even come to church online or in the room. You tick the box. You're doing the right thing. You're doing church, but you're missing what's right in front of you, which is a relationship with the living King. You see, the Gentiles were flooding into the kingdom. They were coming to know God through Jesus. Their lives were changing because they understood they got to say yes to Jesus who loves them. And I wonder for some of us today, if we're too busy ticking the box, doing the right things, following the rules, and we're missing the relationship that's right in front of us. We're tripping over the stone. Because Jesus longs not just to give us eternal life, but life every day. We get to live with the King of Kings. Live with Jesus. Know Him personally. I wonder if you're honest with yourself today, what are you missing that's right in front of you? What's God been trying to show you and maybe you just haven't noticed yet, but he's there. What would it look like to notice rather than trip up to notice? Paul then goes on to make it really clear how we are to be saved. He talks about this plan A. It is a gift of God. It's nothing we can do, but it's all from him, all by him, all for him. Let me read from Romans 10 verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved such a gift, a gift available to anyone and everyone. We are all invited to choose Jesus, to receive this gift. And it talks about our response needs to be with our heart, that in the core of our being, we are transformed because our heart loves him. And then we declare with our mouth, and these aren't just words that we kind of spurt out, but it's actually a declaration that's evidence of a transformation of what's going on in our heart. And declaring that Jesus is Lord, and when Paul was writing this, was controversial. Mike spoke about this a number of weeks ago, because when this was written, Caesar was called Lord. And so to call Jesus Lord was saying, Caesar isn't Lord. Same too for us today, when we call Jesus Lord, we're saying that nothing and no one else is. 
We're saying our finances are not Lord of our life, that our relationships are not Lord of our life, that our, what we want to do, our success is not Lord of our life, but Jesus is Lord. And when we say that he is Lord, we again are affirming that the Old Testament God is the New Testament God, is the God of today. It's the one true God. We declare that. I wonder if you've accepted that in your heart, core in your being, being transformed, that Jesus is Lord of your life, which means that nothing and no one else is. Paul makes it really clear how we can receive this gift of salvation. He talks about the risk for the Jews that they miss the obvious. And then he steps in and talks about the risk for the Gentiles is that they take things for granted. See, what was happening with the Gentiles of this day, while we had Jews saying, I don't want to believe in Jesus, I'm not trusting him. We have all these Gentiles coming and trusting Jesus and growing. And so the early church, the majority were Gentiles. And what had happened was it sort of got this tendency then for the Gentiles to brag about their status because, like, they were in. You know, they were the ones that were in with Jesus. And they started to almost become arrogant and look down on the Jews because they were the majority. They started to take for granted that they had this relationship with God. And what Paul wants to do is remind the Gentiles that everything they have is a gift from God. It's a blessing from God. It's because of what God has done actually through the Jewish people, through the people of Israel. And so Paul then writes a passage and he uses some terminology around olive trees. And he uses an idea that the Gentiles are named a wild olive shoot and the Jews are the natural branches. So keep that in mind as I read this passage to you. In Romans 11, he says, If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, the Gentiles, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, the Jews, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness." Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut off of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Now, olive trees were a symbol that the readers of the day, the hearers of the day would have understood. Olive trees were everywhere in the Mediterranean world. And what people knew was that an olive tree, unless it was uprooted or burnt, it would go on and on and on and on. This is like, for me, the best gardening because I'd love an olive tree. I can't kill it. But the reality is the people understood when they were reading that God's people, God's word, God's truth would go on and on and on. His word would never die. And Paul uses these grafting analogies to highlight a few things about the people of the day and they're relevant to us today. The first thing I want to draw attention to is that it's we're one family of God. It's one vine. 
one olive tree, that we're all grafted into the one family. And so there's a call for unity, a call that no matter who we are, when we say yes to Jesus, we belong. We're all welcome. There's an expectation that we notice others and we strive for unity. The second thing we see in this passage that is that unbelief results in being cut off. When people choose not to believe in Jesus, that is when they're cut off. Whether that be a Jew or a Gentile, whether that be me or you, if we choose not to trust Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then we result in being cut off. And that's why we need confession. That's why it's so important not to become complacent, but we need to come to the living God and say, I'm sorry when I try and do things my own way. I'm sorry that I am broken. I love you. I follow you. Graft me in. I want to continue daily to choose to believe in Jesus as my Lord and living Saviour, not just a once a week or a once a year thing, but daily. I want to choose Him and follow Him. The third thing we notice is that God does the grafting. God is the one who's the gardener. God is the one that does the grafting. And I love that that gives me hope. Gives me hope for me because he's the one grafting me in, in my imperfections. But it also gives me hope for my friends and family that are yet to be grafted in. God is at work. He is drawing people to himself. He is grafting. And so we can have hope because he's in control. And then fourthly, it talks about that there's no supremacy. There's no hierarchy. There's no the Jews or the Gentiles who is better. And therefore, there's no pride or arrogance that we should have in our faith. When we are saved, when we are grafted in, it's no work of our own. And so the response is one of humility, one of gratitude, one of saying, God, wow, thank you for everything you've done for me. And Paul really brings this home and the way he talks about the grafting, because actually, normally, I've done a little bit of reading, normally you would graft a cultivated vine into an old wild vine. So you'd find the old wild vine had this little bit of cultivated fruitful um, vine that you would graft in. But rather, Paul's talking the other way around, that it's the old wild vine that's getting grafted into the cultivated and he uses the term in verse 24 this is against nature this is the opposite of what you would do in nature to remind us that the gift of God giving us a relationship with him his grace his mercy that he accepts us and we don't have to strive to earn it it is against nature it is against what culture tells us if you work hard enough do enough then you will get everything God does is the opposite in that way It is a gift. Grace is a gift. It's a miracle that God gives us. But the risk for the Gentiles and the risk for us is that we take it for granted. The risk can be that we take it for granted that we have been grafted in, that we've been given a relationship that just like the Gentiles, we can become complacent, even entitled and arrogant about our faith rather than humble and grateful. Because the true gospel humbles the proud and it lifts the lowly. The true gospel transforms us and causes us to realise we need Jesus. We rely on him for his plan A in our lives. And so the question for those of us that know Jesus, have we become complacent? Do we take it for granted? Have we almost become arrogant about our faith? There's nothing that I've done 
It's everything God has done. You know, I can remember when I was a young adult in my 20s. If I'm really honest with you, I probably took my parents a lot for granted. (laughs) I can remember I was working as a physio at that point and I would come home and miraculously food was on the table. Amazing. And then I also remember going into my bedroom and miraculously clothes that were clean and ironed were found in my wardrobe. (laughs) I can remember having a roof over my head all the time and, you know, the heater was on or the air conditioning was on. It was pretty comfortable. I remember getting access to whatever I needed and I paid very little amount of rent. Like, they were the good old days. I probably took my parents for granted. But there was a moment in my 20s where I had a car accident. And I can remember there was a bunch of us from here actually driving to Hillsong and in the Blue Mountains got rear-ended. It was a pretty nasty accident. My car got written off, my neck and back got damaged and I was left with months and, and years of having rehab. And there was a season where I couldn't work. I couldn't go to work as a physio. I had to take all my sick leave. I ran out of sick leave, ran out of annual leave. I had no income. There was things I just couldn't do, simple tasks I couldn't do anymore. I couldn't drive and my parents were doing everything for me. And it took that moment of me not being able to do things for myself to realise just how much my parents had been doing and continued to do. It took the moment of me not being able to do it for myself, not fix things with an injury, to realise my mum and dad were going over and above. They were blessing me. They were providing for me. They were supporting me. They were making sure I had everything I needed and more. And I wonder in our faith walk... If maybe we need a little bit of a wake-up call sometimes, a moment where we realise, just like me with my injury, I couldn't do it by myself. In our faith, we can't do it by ourselves. To help us notice everything God has done for us. Because I don't know about you, but in my faith walk, I don't want to be like 20-year-old Michelle and take it for granted. I don't want to think I just deserve this. I want to be someone who worships the living God, because he chooses to welcome me. He chooses to forgive me. He chooses to love me. He chooses to restore me. I don't ever want to be guilty of taking that for granted because God loves me. God loves you. God has more for each and every one of us, and I don't want to take that for granted. Paul names these risks in this beautiful passage in Roman, the risk of missing the obvious, of tripping over a stone because we just don't see the gift of God and the risk of taking it for granted. I don't want to fall into those risks. I wonder today, what's your risk? What resonates with you? If you're honest, what's the risk? Maybe it's something different. But for us, the challenge is to notice who God is and what he's doing and respond to his goodness so that we don't miss the obvious because we're looking with eyes and hearts intent to go, God, speak to me. I want to hear you. And so we don't take it for granted every day. We go, God is good. He's provided. He's faithful. He is for me. He is with me. You know, as we come to the end of these first 11 chapters of Romans, there is so much in it. There is a lot. God's story that he always had a plan. Our problem that we are broken and hurting, but Jesus is the solution. He is the way. We have a gift of a relationship with a living God, that we have a new way to live. We have gifts of grace and mercy. Our God loves us. There is so much. 
And I love how theologian N.T. Wright puts it in response to these 11 chapters. He says, The only thing left to do is take a long, deep breath and shake our heads in wonderment and give praise to the God whose thoughts, plans and accomplishments are so much deeper and greater than anything we could have imagined for ourselves. Everything we are comes from him. Everything we have comes from him. Everything that exists, the whole of creation is his handiwork and is sustained in existence by his power and love. Everything we do traces itself back into his presence as the sovereign one before whom all human work and activity is at best. Loving service. Paul's letter to the Romans, it is beautiful. There is so much in it. I don't want to miss what's in front of me. I don't want to take for granted, but rather I want to be someone who worships the King. Someone who has a life that is a response to His goodness and worships Him. And I want to invite us all right now to stand. Let's stand together. We're going to read together the final few verses in chapter 11. It's a real declaration of God's goodness and faithfulness. And I want to invite you, whether you know this Jesus and you love Him, or whether you're not even sure, to still read these words out loud together as we speak the truth of who He is. Let's read this together. You'll find it on the screens. Verse 1. 